Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. I appreciate that State Representative Cherish Pryor took me up on the interview request to discuss her commentary regarding this legislation that would set a definition for anti-Semitism. Tony Katz, good to be with you. And her opposition to it, where she discussed how educators would feel that they wouldn't even be able to talk about Israel, that it would be deemed anti-Semitic. So I wanted to speak to her about it. She did get back to us, and she did engage in a conversation about it, and she was honest. Specifically, this has been about the legislation regarding a definition of, of, of anti-Semitism. And, and if I understand your position right, as, as a matter of general conversation, you're not opposed to the idea of defining ter- uh, the term. Or is that a, a problem uh, regarding should the state be doing that? So, no, I, I, uh, it is not my position that um, we don't have a definition. Um, I, my, my thought and my statement has been um, we need to make sure that we're um, inclusive. Uh, the idea of inclusive being that the definition of anti-Semitism needs to be broader in your view based on what the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance has put together? No, the definition is fine, but being inclusive as far as other religions and other um, marginalized communities. So uh, that has been my, my thought process. But in, in this in this instance, in this situation, uh, this is specifically about defining anti-Semitism. Could there be, in your view, other pieces of, of legislation that would engage other definitions? I think that we have an opportunity um, right now as a legislature to ensure that we are uh, protecting uh, all communities. Um, that are um, that are being affected, and so I, I you know, I I think that we're missing a, a great opportunity. I think that uh, we certainly need to protect uh, our Jewish brothers and sisters. We also need to protect um, our Muslim brothers and sisters. We also need to protect uh, my African American brothers and sisters, and in other groups as well. Talking to State Representative oh, Cherish Pryor. All, I think that you know, we, I think that we're missing an opportunity uh, by not trying to make sure that we are protecting all all Hoosiers throughout the state of Indiana. Talking to State Representative Cherish Pryor of the ninety uh, fourth uh, district, Indiana House Democratic floor leader, uh, as it states on the Indiana House Democratic Caucus website. Uh, I, I must admit, this is not where, from your some original statements, I thought where you were going. Uh, this, we, we see a massive uptick in, in anti-Semitism, as, as is reported. We're seeing violence uh, on the streets, never mind what's happening in college campus. And thus, this definition has been put forward as an idea to be able to have uh, states have a clear understanding of what is and what isn't. Not that it excludes uh, other groups and other people. Couldn't this be done 
and then other definitions be be handled and, and, and voted on in the same way? Um, I think that they that we can do them all together. Um, I think that there has certainly been an uptick, unfortunately, in uh, in hate crimes um, towards uh, the Jewish community. There's also been an uptick in hate crimes towards uh, uh, individuals who are Muslims on college campus. Uh, as an African American, I can tell you. Uh, when I was uh, a freshman in college, I was terrified to leave my dorm room uh, one day because there were uh, there was a KKK march, um, and those things are still happening on college campuses that affect uh, the African American community. So what I'm saying is, you know, certainly um, there could be something that happens. Uh, next year, but then there's a year that goes by without those groups being protected. So in, in your view, it has to be, we're, we're, we're equating things. In, in your view, you, you, you are equating these things as opposed to being able to say, well, at least let's get this done and then we can get other things done. In my view, I think that we, as a legislature, we have an obligation to protect everybody. Talking to State Representative Cherish Pryor uh, of the 94th uh, District. Uh, now, uh, in your commentary, and it was reported by WIBC.com, you were talking about the the legislation being too vague. And this is the quote that is attributed to you. Educators, that's the subject you were talking about, feel concerns that if they were to say anything about Israel, that would be deemed as anti-Semitic. You continued by saying, and I'm quoting, people should be able to criticize any country if they feel that country is not doing right, particularly if there are human rights violations. So I wanted to ask you what countries, in your view, are uh, engaged in human rights violations uh, and uh, that should be criticized. Oh, I think there's there are a lot of countries. You can almost pick a continent, and you can uh, identify um, human rights violations um, that occur. Uh, I think my statement um, is very clear um, that if there are um, human rights violations that are happening, um, people and, and there are people in the United States that want to stand up. Uh, for people who are receiving, um, who are being harmed, uh, that they should be able to and they should not be criticized or fear being criticized or lose their jobs or get expelled from school uh, because they say, uh, you know, that there are human rights violations happening in Israel. So my concern is that we we have to and we need to be trying to protect um, all students and everybody's uh, free speech and their ability to, to criticize Israel, just as, you know, people criticize some of the things that the United States does. Right. So you've mentioned now Israel and the United States. Are there any other countries that you, you are okay with? We should always have the freedom of speech to engage criticizing for, as you put it, human rights violations. Yeah, I'm, it, it, any country. Uh, you know, I don't like what's happening um, in Ukraine. Um, 
there are violations that are happening um, in, in um, countries in, in, uh, on the continent of Africa as well. So all of those, I think, are things that we need to be concerned about, and people need to be able to speak out against those. And so, and not fear, and not and not fear um, that they're going to get kicked out of school or lose their position on college campus or even lose their job. Well, uh, in 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 the concept of, of losing one's job, certainly there are employment contracts, and one could be in violation of those kinds of contracts. Uh, certainly, we would agree that if they sign, if someone signs a contract, there may be rules and regulations, just like uh, going to a university might have specific rules and 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 regulations about what is said and isn't said as a representative of that uh, of that university as 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 a student. But I certainly believe that one should have uh in in the world of free speech uh i'm a i'm a true believer and have the right to criticize um and and nothing should should stop that. can i just can i just just also uh, mention that um when you say uh people sign a contract i'm a, not everybody people sign uh, i guess documentation for when they go to work but not everybody sign like a formal contract with, uh, you know, if you, there are people um, that work who are maybe waiters or waitresses that may not necessarily have uh, a contract that they that they sign agree. for employment. I agree, but we could also agree that they may be, uh, they would be as a server there or a bartender or anything else, a representative of that establishment and things they say could reflect poorly on the establishment. The owner should have the right to be able to uh, protect their establishment. That That's my argument. <laughs> Okay. So, so I, I wanted to just go back to this uh, that we we both agree with the concepts of 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 free uh, speech. Uh, that that is not uh, the 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 argument here. Uh, the 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 question before us is: Is there anything in this uh, definition? Because it, it has been clear that this does not stop any criticism of Israel or or any other other country. Um, what specifically about this definition specifically uh, led to the idea that it was suppressing speech? Well, I don't think that I I, I haven't said that the definition was uh, the problem. That there is a statement in the bill. Um, that talks about uh, not uh, about criticizing Israel. My amendment had nothing to do with uh, the definition. So when when it, it, is this definition you feel going to get a, a, a yay vote and going to pass? I think the will. Uh, I, I have no crystal ball. Uh, but I, I do think that it will probably pass. And your view is that it's not okay to have a standalone piece of legislation regarding the rampant anti-Semitism post-October 7th and the attack from Hamas on, on Israel. It should be applied uh, to everyone and can't be specific uh, regarding uh, an- anti-Semitism. Well, I think we need to be clear that... Um that one, this bill uh, is, is is a bill about, it is about a bill about 
um, the Jewish uh, community, uh, my position is, and it remains, that we have an opportunity to protect um, all students that are facing hurt and harm on college campus. And this is an oppor- a missed opportunity that we have. And you would be, as, as you want students on college campuses to be able to speak freely, you're also okay with students who are proactively speaking out against the terrorist organization Hamas, the butchering of children, the raping of women, and the taking of hostages. That's also acceptable. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Say that again. You are very okay with, if we're talking about students having rights to speak their mind, those students who are opposed to the terrorist organization Hamas, opposed to the butchering of children, the setting people on fire, the raping of women, and the taking of hostages, correct? Oh, I think that's deplorable. Uh, It's deplorable, and I would even say this, it's something that I would not want um, younger people to see or, or hear. Uh, those are horrible statements, um, and and I think everybody's uh, heart should go out to um, all of the the people, who, family members of those who were killed um, in Israel. And I think that we need to be uh, doing everything that we can to uh, make sure that we get the hostages back. Um, I, I I cannot imagine that anyone. Um, that has a heart will be okay with with uh, with what happened. Well, unfortunately, we've seen a lot of people without hearts uh, across uh, central Indiana and across uh, America. But I appreciate taking the time, uh, State Representative Church Pryor of House District uh, 94. I appreciate you being with us. You guys know that very often people won't engage. They won't uh, answer questions. They won't talk. And never mind from the Democrat side when you're talking to someone like like, like myself. Uh, I, I can't get Republicans to respond and, and come on the air. So I do appreciate uh, the representative uh, having the conversation. That said, um, there's much of what she engaged that left me uh, wanting. Um, the idea that one cannot have a definition regarding anti-Semitism, because uh, you're not engaging protections for everybody. This is exactly what the Democratic Party did regarding the bigotry of Ilhan Omar, the anti-Semitism of Ilhan Omar. We're not going to call her out. We'll just call out all bigotry. That's, that's not the point. That's cover. That's cover for something that's going on that, that requires the attention. So I, I couldn't disagree more. I think that she's engaged in something here that, that is um, quite, quite problematic. And and I and I should have uh, asked if if it should cover all. What was your position on Black Lives Matter versus All Lives Matter? And that's not a gotcha. That is a. Or do we understand what we're saying here? Because when people said All Lives Matter, oh no, this is about people who are black. How dare you? Now all of a sudden that argument doesn't work. I don't mind other definitions. Well, I, I should take that back. I do admittedly have a problem with the definition in that I don't like the idea that we're engaged in this because I think this leads to hate crimes legislation. And I have disagreements with Jews and other people uh, about this. I don't believe in hate crimes legislation at all or in any way. Uh, A crime is a crime is a crime. But I do often argue that words have meaning. Definitions matter. And so to that end, 
Maybe definition isn't the worst thing. I just fear this is going to lead to hate crimes legislation talk. I don't want it, but I'm going to lose this battle uh, on the definition. I, I, I really do believe that. I'll have to fight it in, in, in other ways that I fight it. But I found that her, her commentary was, um, I, I, I disagree with her vehemently, and I think that she's acting in a way of cover, whether she, she agrees with that or not. You can, you can call this thing out, this Jew hatred out, and say so. And then you can discuss other things. The idea that it has to be lumped all together, that's done for political expediency based on recent history. You won't catch me in favor of that at all. But I appreciate Representative Pryor coming on the show. I'm Tony Katz. This is Tony Katz Today. So I'll put a bow uh, on this and be done with the subject. It's not voter suppression. Not offering free buses. It's not voter suppression. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. You've got this state senator, a burn, who wants to eliminate the ability for groups like AARP to pay for buses and offer free bus rides on election day through public transit. Now, if AARP, the American Association of Retired Persons, is that what it stands for? The, the old people people, which I assume one day will come for all of us. Next thing you know, you'll get that piece of mail saying, welcome to AARP, and you'll be like, oh, it happened. Um, I have it. It comes for all. Like winter is coming, and that piece of mail will show up. If AARP or any other group wanted to pay for buses to take people to the polls, hey, we'll pick you up. This is where we'll be. We'll pick you up and take you to the polls. I think they can do that. I don't know where the argument is that they can't do that. But this is about whether or not it should be done through public transit. And the argument is, well, we're offering free rides here. We're not offering free rides in another place. And the free rides are Indianapolis, Evansville, Gary, of course, it would be a lie to say this isn't for a political purpose. Of course it is. You're talking about inner cities versus rural areas, which are more left-leaning, more likely to vote for Democrats. Of course, this is about getting more Democrats to the polls. Can we please not lie to each other? It seems, it seems silly to do that. This buses aren't available in the rural areas. Why aren't we helping rural people uh, get to the polls? Now, I think that AARP or any other group can do this, but they would have to get their own buses or their vans, whatever it is they use. It is the use of public transportation in this way that creates a problem. And I think that the legislation is, is well, it's fascinating. It's worthy of a discussion. I don't know what's going to happen with it. But if you don't offer free transit on election day, it's voter suppression. This is where the left is and the trolls on Twitter are. It's pathetic. It is such a non-argument, such a weak, sad argument, because anything that they don't like is voter suppression. You don't have mail-in balloting, voter suppression. Voter ID, voter suppression. It's not. It's just silliness. It's embarrassing the way uh, this conversation has gone. I, I think that the legislation is saying something, and it shouldn't happen through public transit. That's all. Let people do what they do otherwise. Totally fine with it. But the idea that it's voter suppression, the Indiana Democratic Party has got the vapors. You're hysterical. Calm down. I'm Tony Katz. 
And this is Tony Katz Today. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. Of course, the big news about the Pacers today, the trade for Pascal Siakam. Oh, there's excitement all across Hoosierland. There, there is. The idea that the, the Pacers were willing to, to give up to make a move like this, give up two first-round picks in 24, a first-round pick in, in 26, give up some players that I, I think uh, the, the, the people like. Oh, this, this is a move-the-ground move. And what I have totally dug is that it seems that the fan base is totally in on this because it might mean more people coming, more players coming to Indiana and seeing Indiana as the place to play and win championships. I love that. I uh, adore that. But before we get to any time to the playoffs, Indiana will again take center stage because of the NBA All-Star Game that is less than a month away. It's going to be very cool. Tony Katz, good to be with you. Danny Lopez joins me right now, Vice President of External Relations and Corporate Communications for the Indiana Pacers. Also, full disclosure, running uh, for the, the State House uh, there. Uh, and uh, we just because I like full disclosure, that's a subject we are not discussing. We're not discussing his run for the General Assembly in Indiana. We are discussing... Uh, all-Star Weekend, so much so, we're not even discussing the trade, which uh, has taken over everybody's lives, uh, Pascal Siakam, uh, and, and the trade uh, for Bruce Brown and some first-round picks. I know this isn't your wheelhouse. You're not the basketball operations guy, but how good does the building feel after this trade? I mean, look, here's a guy that can play on both ends of the court. He's dynamic. He's good on defense. He's exciting. All-NBA guy. Uh, I mean, if you... If you listen to all the talking heads, I mean, this it puts the Pacers in the top tier there in the Eastern Conference to be competing. So, it's exciting. But I, I'd say this: How about the uh, How about Indiana dominating the sports news cycle nationally for the last week between the court at the airport and this trade yesterday? Uh, it's been a It's been a good uh, few days around the building for sure. The court at the airport. If you did not uh, see or, or hear, uh, there is a full size regulation. Uh, basketball court right now in the middle of the Indianapolis International Airport, right there in the middle of the food court area. Yeah. Do do I can I play on it? Can people play on it or is it just there to, to look pretty? So there's hoops up. You we you know, you can't play on it right now. I mean honestly, Tony, I think I think even we didn't anticipate the kind of reception that it was gonna get. So, you know, maybe we think about before before it gets torn out what what we can do with it and, and make it interactive. But it's just cool for now to have it there, and it, it, like I said, it dominated the news cycle. It's such a different element, and I think it, it's, a good, uh, it's a good illustration of how we do these events in Indiana differently than other places. I mean, I remember flying out to Salt Lake City last year for All-Star Game in Utah, which was, which was fine. It was, it was a good event, and it was, it was just fine. But if you were in the airport, you didn't really know that you were in All-Star until maybe you got closer to the street level and then there was some signage. But for us, whether you're at the airport or anywhere downtown or hopefully anywhere uh, in central Indiana with some of the signage, you're going to know that this event is going on. You're going to know that you're right in the middle of All-Star because, we, you know, we just do these things differently. 
my suggestion is at the airport, uh, an eight-team high school tournament. Just select eight teams out of a hat. They all play down there. Winner gets a, a, a cash prize for the school. My suggestion, uh, run up the flagpole, see if Herb Simon says yes or no. Talking to Danny Lopez from uh, the Indiana Pacers, Vice President of External Relations and Corporate Communications. Uh, it's been a delay. Right? You had to wait a couple of years to get your all-star well, we, game. This should have been did, happening we, uh, in 2021. Uh, did the delay make it uh, some great opportunities go by the wayside? Or do you really feel that you were able to capitalize on the extra time? No, look, the the, the delay ultimately was a silver lining. I mean, we all, we're always careful when we talk about COVID and silver linings. But, uh, but the you know, the, the having the more time, allowed us to organize uh differently to pull stuff together that we weren't going to be able to do i mean remember that we we did we won this bid in 2017 when larry drove the indy car on fifth avenue and hand delivered the bid to the nba we planned for 21 the building Gamebridge would have been half completed so you would have had you know gray seats and green seats in the balconies and it wouldn't have been it just wouldn't have been done and so it would have been great, and it would have been a celebration of basketball and a celebration of Herb and a celebration of Indiana, but it wouldn't have been the same. Now you've got a completed building. You've got the plaza outside, uh, and you're able to do this in a way. I mean, 21 would have been low touch, and it would have been all this other stuff that would have sort of taken a little bit of the luster off the experience. Now we're able to do things the way we were going to do them. We're planning on doing them. And so from that standpoint, it, it really actually was, was beneficial to us in the planning um, and, you know, again, when you've got this many people involved, there, there's cities that don't even have host committees. We've got 400 people on this host committee, lots of volunteers, lots of people that are actively engaged. Uh, this wouldn't have been possible in 2021. So, I mean, from that, from a lot of standpoints, I'd say uh, it was a blessing that this thing got pushed back a little bit. But it has been seven years. I think everybody's ready. We're within 30 days now. We're inside of 30 days. Uh, I think everybody's more than ready to get this thing going. Talking to Danny Lopez of the Indiana Pacers. Uh, the whole weekend, walk me through it. Uh, let's let's do uh, the, the TikTok of events, both at Gamebridge uh, and at Lucas Oil Stadium. So Thursday night, we've got, we're going to actually, we just announced it yesterday, we're going to have something called tip-off. It's never never been done uh, for NBA All-Star, but it's essentially a, an opening ceremony that we'll do at the Plaza. And it'll be um, it'll be Thursday night at six thirty. We're going to put more information out here in, in a couple of weeks on where you can get tickets. It'll be free, but we'll, but but ticketed obviously because we have limited space out on the plaza. Uh, and then starting on on Friday, we're going to have the, you'll have the Rising Stars game, the Celebrity game. Um, you'll go into All Star Saturday night and practice and media day on uh, on Saturday, and then of course Sunday is the game, and then. You know, the interesting thing about All-Star, which is a little bit different from, you know, Super Bowl or, or any of these other uh, major events that we host, certainly the NCAAs, is you have all these ancillary events that are, some of them are basketball-related, some of them have nothing to do with basketball. So, you know, we're, we're doing something called Day of Service. So the NBA does a Day of Service every single year for All-Star. Typically, it's an hour or two. The commissioner comes out. They invite some former players. They do some, you know, backpack packing or some meal packing, uh, take some photos, and off they go. Well, we turned that into 24 hours of service. So we're doing starting on, on uh, Thursday at 4 p.m. and ending up on Friday at 4 p.m. We're pulling in 6,000 volunteers, which we'd love folks to volunteer. There's still some spots, particularly for the overnight shifts. Uh, and you can go to pacers.com slash all-star for all of this and to sign up. But 
We're pulling in 6,000 volunteers. We're going to pack a million meals. They're going to be distributed through food banks all across the state of Indiana. Uh, so that'll be going on at Lucas Oil on the other side of the curtain from where All Star Saturday night is going to be held. Um, so, you know, there's just things like that. We're going to be doing something at Christmore House. We're going to be do- doing something at Christmas Attics. I mean, it's just going to be a busy, busy weekend. You hit the nail on the head uh, in the intro. There's going to be upwards of 125 to 150,000 people descending upon downtown. And one of the things that other cities we noticed a lot for from previous host cities was a lot of sort of messaging around, you know, it's going to be busy downtown, so you may want to stay away. We want people to come downtown. Whether you've got a ticket, whether you're a fan of basketball or the NBA, just come downtown. It's going to be a party. There's going to be tons of things going on, uh, and it's going to be a lot of fun. One of the uh, questions uh, about what happens downtown is, of course, you know, we talk about downtown uh, often. And while I'm not looking to get a, a, a political uh, conversation uh, going, talk to me about safety and security for people who are coming to Indianapolis for the event. So we've been having, I mean, for years now, we've been having a lot of conversations with IMPD and NBA security to ensure that, you know, you've got a safety plan and a security plan in place. Um you know, so I, I think from that standpoint, people shouldn't feel like, you know, there's any security concerns or safety concerns because the planning has been done. And, and again, this isn't the first time that we do these large scale events. I mean, if you think about Super Bowl at Georgia Street, I still have the photo up in my office of Georgia Street. And it, it was, you know, it was front to back packed in like sardines. Um, and it was safe. It was a safe environment. It was a fun environment. So we're, we're less concerned about safety and security. Uh, downtown because we've got a plan in place and, and it's going to be secure and we're more sort of excited about uh, what we can do with folks when they're downtown. Danny Lopez of the Indiana Pacers, Vice President of External Relations and Corporate Communications. Appreciate you taking the time to be with us. Looking forward uh, to the weekend and looking forward uh, to downtown making a crap ton of cash. That's <laughs> Absolutely. Good economic impact. It's good for businesses downtown. It'll be a lot of fun. Uh, we, we may not have this again in most of our lifetimes. Uh, so come on out and, and check it out and just enjoy it. Yeah, but I want those out-of-town people to spend all their money. Don't just enjoy it. Spend all of your loot. Danny Lopez of the Indiana Pacers, I appreciate you taking the time. More is coming up. I'm Tony Katz. So I reported earlier this week, heck, it could have been yesterday, and I don't even remember, that Brad Chambers, candidate for governor, Republican nominee, or now he's not, he's searching to be the Republican nominee, uh, he had raised $8.2 million since July. I thought that number was staggering, and I asked the question, wait, does that include money he put in? Yes, it included a $5 million loan he gave himself at the start of the campaign which would still mean he raised $3.2 million, which is still pretty impressive. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, good to be with you. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. Over there at the Indianapolis Business Journal, Peter Blanchard reporting, they've got the numbers. All the reporting is in, and this primary, people are going to spend some loot. They're going to spend a crazy amount of money so here's where it is uh you've got mike braun raising approximately 2.1 million in the second half of of the year his campaign reporting more than four million dollars 
cash on hand. He raised more than $4.3 million in 2023. So Braun has raised more money as is reported, than any of the five candidates seeking the Republican nomination. Of course, Mike Braun, your current U.S. Senator. Then you've got Brad Chambers, the former Secretary of Commerce in Indiana. Then you have Suzanne Crouch, the sitting Lieutenant Governor. You've got Eric Doden, businessman out of Fort Wayne. And Curtis Hill, the former Attorney General of Indiana, who had to leave the the accusations of impropriety. But he has got the social conservatives uh, fairly well wrapped up. Certainly the activist class. Brad Chambers, as we said, ends with $2.9 million cash on hand. If he gave himself a $5 million loan, he raised three point two. Chambers has spent over $5 million so far. And that, of course, is he's got to get the name ID. Of all these people, he probably, maybe Doden, uh, he's got the lowest name ID. People don't necessarily know who the Secretary of Commerce is. They, they, it's just not something that, that you know. So he has spent money doing that. Meanwhile, Lieutenant Governor Crouch, can we discuss the fact that this woman can fundraise? Look, I, I think she has got uh, the, the worst path going forward. Too tied to Eric Holcomb, which doesn't win you anything, uh, and and I don't think there's an excitement there. I, now, everything can be wrong. It's my take. Uh, I look forward to sitting down and speaking with her. She reports more than $3.7 million cash on hand. So what did they raise? She raised $2.4 million in 2023. She had $1.2 million basically on already. So she's got $3.7 million ready to go. That does not mean she had a necessarily a good raise in the second half of 2023. If you take a look at Eric Doden, and here's a great example. He's got just over a million dollars cash on hand, which is not enough. He raised $400,000 in the second half of 2023 and $2.2 million for the entire year, which means when the competition started being noted, it would seem to me that the money dried up. Now, I've only met the man once. He was certainly very nice to me, but very often people are very nice to me because they want nice things said uh, on, on uh, radio. Um, they should know that it doesn't necessarily work like that. Uh, when I say necessarily, it doesn't work like that. I discussed the thing as I discussed the thing, but dude was totally nice. But that's, that's a story. That is a story. He spent $4 million in 2023, did Eric Doden trying to get some name ID because outside of Fort Wayne, he doesn't really have it. And I don't think that it has necessarily worked. Then there is the former Attorney General Curtis Hill. He raised just shy of $400,000 in 2023, most of it in the second half of the year after he announced his candidacy. Now I have a question of how much he he has on hand. You have Jennifer McCormick, the Democrat nominee for governor, raising $150,000 the second half of the year, bringing her year-end total to four hundred fifty grand. Donald Drainwater, the Libertarian, raising less than 20000 since entering the race, reports $13,000 cash on hand. Leave it to the Libertarians to still not be serious about funding candidates. Sorry, Libertarians, you're not serious. The money's not there. You have not yet broken through on this. I want you to because I like the idea of it. I do. But it's, 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 you're not there yet? Four years, we haven't engaged any, any breakthroughs in fundraising at all? Meanwhile, these numbers are pretty big. 
And you'll note Curtis Hill has the least amount of money. I, I get that, but I have a theory. And the theory goes as follows. He may have less money, and he'll always have less money. But when you have the activists, you have a chance. And I wouldn't be surprised if Curtis Hill is the second last man standing against, well, right now I, I would, see, I, I don't want to make assumptions like that because now I'm kind of showing my hand. I, I think I, I think Doden has a real issue with name ID and money to be able to make that name ID happen. I think Suzanne Crouch has the biggest issue regarding a connection to uh, Eric Holcomb. That would leave Braun and Chambers, who are also the two biggest money guys. It's very possible it's one of those guys in Curtis Hill at the end because Curtis Hill is the only one who can survive without all the money, although the money matters. We shouldn't lie to ourselves. How much is going to get spent here? A lot. The candidates have raised $18 million so far, and we're just going to get into it. Like it, it, the, the, the campaign, it's, it's January, kitten. It's just starting. Um, it, it, it's going to be kind of a fascinating race. And the question is, how abused and, and beaten up will a candidate be out of the primary uh, for, for a general where Republicans will have attacked each other that they're doing the job for Democrats in the oppo research? <laughs> when you have money like this, they're spending it, but the people going after you are going to save it. You get that point, right? I, I figured you would. Good Lord. Find everything at TonyKatz.com, T-O-N-Y-K-A-T-Z. Get uh, the podcast wherever you get your favorite podcast. And, of course, the videos, uh, TonyKatz.com, Rumble, or, or YouTube, wherever it is you get the videos. Go check those out. Go subscribe. I will catch you tomorrow, everyone. Take care.